Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Mark Vermost. He's an assistant professor of gerontology at University of Southern California. Uh, we're going to talk about aging. So, Mark, thanks for coming. Sure. Thank, um, thank you. Yeah. How did you uh, get interested in aging? When, you know, was it a long time ago and yeah, well, it wasn't actually a very long time ago. Um, I remember that um, I was eight or nine or something. Um, and I remember lying in bed and asking my mom, what happens after we die? Um, and um, my mom told me a really fun story about uh, how people had come back from the dead and it was a wonderful place. Um, and I think I believed that for about 30 seconds or something. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, she's just telling me something to make me feel better. Um, right, yeah. And um, so it was really this sort of, uh, I don't know, existential angst when I was a tiny kid. Um, I, and, but as I grew up, um, I stayed interested in it. And really my goal is to understand my own fate. So it's, it, is, it is my personal fate to grow old and die. Um, and it's, I guess it's not just mine. It's also yours, uh, everybody listening to the podcast. Um, and not just everybody who's living now, everybody who's lived in the past and will live in the future. Every organism on the planet is fated to grow old and ultimately die. So really the goal of my research is to understand the fate of every living organism on the planet. Um, so what aspects of the, the aging process are you studying in particular then? So uh, I am particularly interested in mutagenesis. So uh, as we grow older, our genome changes. Um, and um, my specific skill is that I'm uh, very good at being able to measure how quickly our genome changes um, and how that impacts our uh, health. Um, and that really started um, when I... Uh, was somewhere in my 20s when I uh, learned about so-called uh, premature aging syndromes. Uh, these are patients that have a disease by which they age at an accelerated pace. Um, oh, like progeria and stuff like that? Yes, yes, right. Um, there are a whole bunch of them, uh, but something they have in common uh, is that most of them are characterized by um, an instable genome. So their genome uh, changes at a faster pace than um, ours. Um, and that got me interested in trying to understand the relationship between mutations, the repair of our genome, um, and uh, the aging process. Well, when you say the, the, the genome changes, you mean epigenetically or do actual base pairs rearrange and in which cells? What right. Changes? Um, the actual the actual base pairs. Um, so um, every time um, a cell divides, uh, it needs to copy its entire genome because the daughter cell 
needs the exact same in, uh, instructions. Um, and our genome is huge, right? It is uh, 3 billion bases. So copying 3 billion bases um, perfectly is extremely hard. Um, and every cell division, uh, approximately 60 to 100 changes happen. Um, and that can have ramifications um, that are not apparent until much later in life. Um, and so, so I think... Has anyone done a survey of all the cell types to see the aging speed of all of them and the, the, you know, the rate of change and the degree of change and put that on a chart or analysis? Uh, yeah, there are certainly charts like that. Um, it depends on many different factors. Um, for example, um, certain cells, uh, for example, in our gut, right? Um, our gut renews itself uh, completely every three days. Um, so there are completely new cells uh, lining the uh, inside of our gut uh, every three days. Um, and because they divide so much, um, uh, they accumulate these changes faster. Um, in contrast, uh, cells like neurons or muscle cells or heart cells, uh, they don't really divide ever. Um, so uh, some neurons are born and they stay with us uh, for um, 80 or 90 years. Um, and during that time span, uh, they don't divide even once. Um, so uh, in those cells, it's much slower. Um, but there are other reasons why those cells might age. So which cell types are you studying in particular and what do you see? Um, so uh, I study um, mainly neurons and cells of the brain. Um, um, I am uh, particularly interested in uh, aging of neurons because I care about Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease and all these types of age-related neurodegenerative uh, disorders. And um, what we focus on there is not necessarily the rate at which the genome changes, uh, but the rate with which uh, changes occur in the, in the messages that are made from our genes. So whenever a gene is activated, uh, a temporary copy is made, and the temporary copy is shipped out to a different part of the cell to um, make another uh, protein. Um, and um, as it turns out, um, these messages, these temporary copies, um, contain errors as well. Um, and it seems as though, uh, from the work that we've been doing, um, that those could be a really important part of the origin uh, of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. So um, what changes? Is it just individual base pairs, or is it large regions that transpose or disappear or... Um, we are mainly uh, single base pair changes, um, and um, the problem is that as a result of those changes, the protein that is made from that temporary copy um, does not um, fold in the right conformation. Um, so it is uh, partially unstructured often where the error happened. Um, and um, you may or may not know that misfolded or badly constructed proteins are at the heart uh, of all of these neurodegenerative uh, disorders. Um, so 
um, what, what, what we do, for example, is um, we generate cells uh, that make more of these errors than normal. Um, and then we study um, how that impacts various aspects of Alzheimer's. And um, Alzheimer's disease is caused by uh, misfolded proteins, uh, at least partially. Um, and uh, what we find is that in cells uh, that make more of these uh, errors in these temporary copies, uh, uh, that process is accelerated. Uh, and we find that these types of errors occur more frequently in cells that are older compared to cells that are younger. So one of the reasons that we think... Uh, well, what's our, what, what makes it... What makes the cell older? Is it the number of divisions it's gone through? Like, is it near the, the Hayflick limit? Or is it that the time between the last division was longer? Um, I guess in this particular case, in the case of neurons, um, it would be um, uh, a whole range of different aspects. Um, it would be their ability to generate energy. Um, it would be uh, potentially epigenetic changes. Um, it would be the accumulation of macromolecular damage. Um, it would be the production of toxic side products, um, such as uh, reactive oxygen species. There are a whole range of different things that come together uh, in order to age um, cells. Um, and one of the consequences that we found um, is that um, as a result of all those different things impacting the aging process of these cells, they start to make more of these uh, errors in, uh, in the temporary copies. Um, and that ultimately um, contributes to Alzheimer's disease. So uh, we, we're, we are trying to, um, um, to link the natural aging process, link that uh, in a mechanistic way to age-related uh, diseases because one of the kind of funny things is that everybody knows that uh, diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's are age-related diseases, right? But what it exactly is about the aging process that causes those diseases is not clear. And so we hope that we have found one of the mechanisms by which natural aging uh, ultimately contributes to the development of these age-related disorders. So when you look at the cells, you're looking at the neurons, are you looking at them across, you know, people that are of various ages or people that have disease or don't have disease? Like what's your cell population come from? Uh, yeah. So we, we um, mainly work in uh, cell models. So um, we work on uh, yeast and worms and flies and mice. Uh, and we work on um, embryonic cells that can potentially be transformed into neurons. Um, and um, we're doing experiments specifically now, for example, on brain tissue of young versus old mice. Um, and um, we are uh, basically probing um, all these temporary copies uh, for errors. Um, that's our, uh, I guess, our main focus now. So do you see it's a threshold of a number of misfolded proteins that causes the disease or is it just one? Like what, what do you observe about it? Well, so uh, that is one of the most important things probably. Um, so uh, one of the mm, 
most exciting things I personally think that has come out of the last uh, 20 years of research um, is that a lot of the neurodegenerative disorders, including Huntington's disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, a lot of those diseases seem to be caused by proteins uh, that develop a life of their own. Um, they become uh, what is called prion-like. Um, prions are special proteins uh, that can propagate themselves. Um, they fold in a funny way, and as a result, they can force other proteins to assume their conformation. Um, so if you have one of these prion-like proteins, it can force um, uh, other proteins to assume its shape, and they then aggregate in these really strong structured uh, lattices uh, that seem to be toxic for the cell. So it's a it's self... What, what, what do you mean for, force? You mean they just provide like nucleation sites for proteins to fold in such a way as they conform to that yes exactly nucleation yes exactly um so um uh, um so one of the things we're very interested in um is the possibility that these temporary copies these these, uh, mrna molecules um that um errors in those copies accidentally give rise to proteins that now have prion-like properties and uh, as a result, this autocatalytic cascade um, is started uh, that ultimately results uh, many, many years later uh, in a neurodegenerative uh, disorder. Um, one of the things that has puzzled me for a very long time um, is that um, when we're looking for the root cause of a particular disease, what we tend to do is we tend to focus on what is wrong with our genome? Is there a mutation that can explain uh, why we get Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or some other disease? Um, sometimes that is true. Sometimes you can find uh, a mutation in the tau gene or um, in a pre-senilin gene um, that explains uh, why a person uh, gets Alzheimer's disease. Um, but in most cases, the disease occurs sporadically. Uh, I think the latest estimate is that about uh, 10% of cases of Alzheimer's disease are caused by genetic mutations in the germline of the patient, and 80 to 90% are sporadic cases, meaning we don't know what they're really caused uh, by. Um, and um, there have been a lot well, of... If you, if, you look at the, if you look at the underlying, are these SNPs? Is that what these alterations are, these mutations are? Uh, well, I think uh, it's probably not correct to call them a SNP. Um, a SNP would be um, a mutation that is extremely frequent in the population. Um, and, and, these, and these mutations are rarer. Um, so uh, I think I would simply call them uh, uh, an, in, an inherited mutation, uh, probably one every 10,000 to 100,000 people, um, whereas SNPs yeah, are... I mean, the, 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 the 80 to 90% of people that get Alzheimer's, for instance, ah. what's the correlation there? Are there are certain base pairs that uh, tend to be modified, or is oh, it aha, yes. to be random, or what? If you like this podcast, 
please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Right. No. So uh, that is the problem. Um, uh, if there is no genetic cause, um, what is the reason that these people get Alzheimer's disease regardless? Um, and so one of the things that we're thinking about is that um, the, the change that caused the disease is not present in the genome. It's only present in these temporary copies. Um, and that is why it has been missed up to this point, uh, because um, these temporary copies are not normally surveyed for mistakes. Um, so we think, we, we hope. Uh, why, why, would there be a, why would there be an error in a copy? Is this a, an, an RNA issue then? Yes, Maybe there's exactly. a genetic change in the RNA that doesn't. The transcriptome is, is modified. Yes, um, exactly. So uh, we're, we're thinking about it in terms of a perfectly normal gene that would normally give rise to the correct RNA molecule and the correct protein. But something goes wrong during the transcription process. Uh, and as a result, the RNA polymerase that is making the transcript um, makes an error for whatever reason, um, and that results in the wrong protein that could have potentially prion-like properties. Um, so we're, we're thinking that these temporary errors, these errors in these RNA molecules made by RNA polymerase 2, that those are ultimately a really important source uh, for the generation of these prion-like proteins. Because as soon as you make a few of them, they will self amplify in this autocatalytic uh, cascade. Um, and well, if you uh, what, trace back the origin of these, uh, these you know, modified RNAs, where are they coming from? At right. some point, they're coming from the, either the mitochondrial DNA or uh, right. maybe the ribosome or the, the nucleus itself, right? Right. So there are probably a lot of different reasons uh, why those errors happen, and we're extremely interested in those um, mechanisms because... Any mechanism that would increase the error rate of uh, transcription could potentially accelerate the age of onset, uh, the progression, and the severity uh, of neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, so we have been looking um, partially at DNA damage. So if a gene is damaged, uh, it is more likely that an RNA polymerase will make an error on it. Uh, Normally, um, these errors occur once every 100,000 bases. Uh, but if there is damage present, uh, that rockets up to uh, 50%. So uh, every two transcription events, an error will be made on one of these damaged uh, genes. Um, so um, one of the reasons why we're particularly interested in that um, is because uh, there are well-known cases of pesticides and herbicides um, that cause DNA damage, uh, and farmers that are exposed to these DNA-damaging compounds uh, have an increased uh, chance of getting Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. So we think there is additional data there for a link uh, between these transcription errors and neurodegenerative uh, diseases. And the other thing that you said is probably also true. As our cells age, particularly cells that are highly metabolically active, uh, as are our 
neurons. Um, you might already know that um, uh, our brain is only 2% of our body weight, but it uses 20% of the oxygen we consume. Um, as these neurons age, uh, the mitochondria become more dysfunctional and they spew out more reactive oxygen species. And those are really strong catalysts uh, for making these transcription errors. Uh, so we're thinking there are uh, really strong links uh, between DNA damage, either through exogenous sources, like things we eat uh, or drink or we're exposed to, or endogenous sources, like the natural aging process. Um, with has, anyone, um, has anyone looked at the... So is the prions, once they act as nucleation sites, is that what, what creates the plaques that form? Uh, yes, that seems to be the case. There are many, many ways in which these plaques can form. They can have many different structures. Uh, but um, especially in the last two to three years, uh, multiple papers have been published that show that it is really these specific amyloid proteins, these, these specific nucleated um, aggregates that have infectious properties, so prion-like properties, that are the primary drivers of the disease. Um, and uh, these prion-like proteins uh, can be generated by genetic changes. So for example, um, patients with mutations in um, particular locations of these aggregation-prone proteins show increased uh, preonogenic potential. Um, um, and the exact same changes that are present in patients with these congenital or inherited uh, mutations can also be generated by transcript errors. And the difference here is that... Um, Genetic changes are extremely rare, um, but these transcript errors are relatively common. So there are approximately a hundred to a thousand fold more transcript errors made than genetic changes. So when I think about a brain and I think about the fact that there are 85 billion neurons in it, there are constantly churning out transcripts that are used to generate uh, proteins required for brain function, some of which have the potential to be prionogenic, um, but need this extra little push, right? This extra little push being a transcription error or a genetic change. Um, I personally think um, that every single day, uh, countless transcription errors give rise to these prionogenic proteins or proteins with increased preonogenic potential. Um, and that is ultimately the source um, of the proteins that result in Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease when we're older. Yeah, but there's got to be some cleanup mechanism that uh, denatures the prions or you know, makes them inert or something to prevent these plaques. Otherwise, we'd all be, you know... Yes, exactly. So, so what... Uh, what needs to happen um, is that for whatever reason, um, these preonogenic proteins or these, these plaques that are forming, these small aggregates, um, they need to be able to evade uh, the protein quality control machinery. There is an enormous amount of 
machinery present in our cells that is solely focused on degrading misfolded or dysfunctional proteins. Um, I'm thinking about uh, Hitchcock proteins, for example, molecular chaperones that refold proteins that did not achieve the right conformation. Um, secondly, there is autophagy, uh, which is a more uh, decisive mechanism that simply degrades proteins uh, that cannot be refolded, and that is complemented by the proteasome, for example. Uh, proteins that not mm, fold properly frequently get uh, tagged and are sent to this um, meat grinder of some sorts to be uh, degraded. So uh, the preonogenic proteins that are formed, um, they won't immediately cause the uh, disease because they will be degraded relatively efficiently, re- relatively efficiently. Sorry, but as we grow older. Uh, all these cleaning crews go on strike and they function uh, less efficiently. And at some point, there is a tipping point uh, where there are more um, toxic proteins produced than are degraded, and that allows them to see these aggregates and nucleate um, into these um, harmful plaques. Well, very good. Um, yeah, um, uh, thank you. Um, I, I couldn't hear completely what you said. I heard um, the last bit, but um, this is what we're really hoping for. You know, we're hoping to have found a novel component of the etiology of all of these different diseases, and we're trying to um, to um, completely change the rulebook uh, on what. Um, uh, what the origins of human disease are, right? Um, we want to add a completely novel component to it. Um, and that is the long-term goal, um, to discover something new, something medically relevant, and something we can hopefully act on in the, uh, in the future. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Um, I think um, um, that my work is uh, mainly published in um, um, in scientific magazines. Uh, but um, if people are interested, uh, they can look up my website at USC, um, and uh, we have many links there uh, to additional research avenues. And if people are interested interested in joining my lab as a graduate student or a postdoc or as an undergraduate researcher, uh, they are more than welcome to uh, apply. We're always looking for excited young uh, scientists uh, to push our research further. Very good, Mark. Thank you for coming. And uh, your research is very, very important. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.